It's Thursday, 24th of August, and this is your Capital Economics Weekly Briefing. I'm David Wilder, coming up the latest on the stock market outlook, including those NVIDIA earnings, but now I'm joined once again by Group Chief Economist Neil Shearing. Hi there, Neil. Hi there, David. So we're coming to the end of summer. The bank holiday is approaching in the UK, and we've got Labor Day in the US the week after that. Thought it would be a good time to take stock and draw out some of the themes from the past few weeks and see whether they're going to dominate into Q4 and beyond. And I thought we'd start by uh, looking at the, the the growth inflation question. Seems appropriate to back into that via the PMIs, the Purchasing Managers uh, Indices. We've just had preliminary readings for August. What do they tell us? Well, on the face of it, it's not very good news. I'm afraid we know we've known for a while that manufacturing sectors globally really have been in recession and PMI readings for the manufacturing sector have been well below that kind of crucial 50 mark that's supposed to separate expansion from contraction. But the key question we've been wrestling with here and the big debate in markets really is what explains the, the resilience of the service sector? Service sectors in advanced economies have still been expanding and that really has explained why economies have so far not fallen into recession. Well, along come August flash PMIs and surprise, surprise, they show quite large drops in the service sector readings, particularly in the Eurozone and in the UK, but also they've come off to the service sector reading came off in the US. So one month's data, clearly they read too much into that, but it does start to cast a little bit of doubt around this question about economies avoiding recessions, some signs that that activity is starting to weaken. Let's just pick up a sec on that US reading. As you say, it suggests the economy's barely growing there. How, how does that fit with the idea that, you know, there's this talk that the US economy has been running so hot that the Fed is going to have to press on with rate hikes in September and perhaps even beyond that? Yeah, like I say, it's only one month's data, it's only one piece of data. The PMIs in the US and indeed for that matter, the UK actually, they've tended to overstate both recoveries and downturns in the past, but they've been pretty good at picking up turning points. So when you look at the kind of level of the PMI, trying to map it against growth rates, it's not been that great over the past uh, 12 months or so, but it has been quite good at picking up turns in in the cycle. So I think there's some information there, but like I say, it's only one piece of data and actually some of the hard data over the past month or so have been pretty strong in the US. So I do think this this on its own certainly doesn't signal recession. And it looks like the, the Q3 tracking models that we have are suggested another pretty decent outturn in, in Q3. But like I say, first piece of survey data that's starting to hint that things might be turning in Q4, it might be a bit softer. The other big story of the summer has obviously been in China. You've written extensively about uh, how China's importance to global growth is is basically overstated. But presumably, these these hard landing fears that are back in the market aren't going to go away. They're going to keep dogging uh, markets, aren't they? So it doesn't sound like major stimulus is coming. But do you think that a big policy easing statement from the government would, would put minds at rest in the markets? Well, I'm pretty sure it would lead to a large relief rally. Whether or not that is justified, were it to happen, would depend on a few things. One is how much stimulus we we had, but also the nature of stimulus. I think if we get more of the same, more infrastructure spending, for example, it's not going to do a great deal to revive China's economy in the long term. 
if it were to be different types of stimulus, say geared more towards household spending, giving cash to households, then that would mark a pretty major shift in the direction of of policy. But we have had no indication so far that that is on the cards. I think the most important thing to stress, though, is that the market is obsessing about Chinese hard landing and and the near term cycle in China, and and I and I get the reasons for that. But one of the points we've been making in our research, and indeed has been a key feature of the internal discussions that we're having, is that this is a structural decline in China's growth rate. The property sector has grown to be too large. We have reached the limits of the high savings, high investment growth model. The center, the government needs to relinquish control and let the market do more in terms of the allocation of resource within the economy. And of course, China's demographic challenge is intensifying the the working age population now shrinking. So you put all that together, this is a long-term decline in in China's growth rate that a bit of stimulus here or there I don't think is going to fix. I think that is something that's been missing from a lot of the discussion over the summer months. And the other big theme of summer is is AI. Um, We're going to be hearing from Tom Matthews in a bit about those uh, NVIDIA 2Q earnings, what they mean for the immediate equities outlook. But I wanted to ask you about this this backlash uh, in recent weeks. Uh, against this idea that that this technology is truly transformative. Uh, Lots of commentary, people saying that the technology has strict limitations on what it can do, and the idea that AI is going to transform the global economy, well, this is just sell-side-driven hype. What's your take on all that? You can't open a newspaper or turn on the TV without seeing uh, breathless headlines about how AI is either going to revolutionize the global economy or lead to the end of humanity. We're going to take a closer look at the economic and market implications of the AI revolution in our annual Spotlight series, which is going to be published next month. But the idea here is that we're going to try and cut through the noise and cut through the hype and get to the heart of what AI means for the global economy. And I think the answer is that it is a genuinely transformatory technology. And if you look at the the potential impact that AI could have on productivity growth in advanced economies, it's substantial and it's on a par with other general purpose technologies. So I think there are reasons for optimism, genuine reasons for optimism. And likewise, I don't really buy the idea that there's going to be this huge wave of technology-driven unemployment either. Um, By the same token, it will be enormously disruptive. It's going to affect different sectors in different ways. The rate of adoption between sectors and indeed countries is going to differ. The way that it is adopted, diffused within economies will will differ substantially too. And the ability of economies to adapt to some of the challenges posed by AI will differ radically. So one of the things we've been doing is developing our own index to look at how different economies may or may not be able to to adopt and adapt to to AI. Like I say, we'll put all of that together and, and the results will be published over the next month or so. But the bottom line is, yes, this is indeed transformatory. Now, question is, have the markets got slightly ahead of themselves? Is there too much hype around AI? Probably in some quarters, yes. But also, wind the clock forward a decade or so, I think we will be concluding that AI has had a meaningful impact on global economic growth. That was Neil Shearing on AI and the other big summer themes. As he mentioned, Spotlight will be published towards the end of next month and there'll be in-person events and drop-ins at our short-form webinars, special podcast episodes all tied in around that theme. So, So look out for details of those on site. 
One of the big events this week has been the untimely, but maybe not unexpected, death of Yevgeny Prigozhin. We don't have anything to contribute to the world of speculation around that, but I would draw your attention to Liam Peach's July report all about how the war is eroding Russia's macro stability. I'll post that on the podcast page, well worth taking a look at. I'll also add our response to those PMIs, our latest estimate of Chinese trend growth, and our take on the geoeconomics around the BRICS summit, which was held in South Africa over the past few days. Now, equities markets have come off the boil in recent weeks after those outsized gains earlier in the year. To find out what's happened and what comes next, but also to make sense of those massive Nvidia earnings on Wednesday, I spoke to Tom Matthews, a senior economist on our markets team. We spoke Thursday at around 4 o'clock London time, 11 New York, and I started by asking why the market rally has basically stalled. There's really been a couple of factors. The first and probably the biggest one more recently over the past couple of weeks has been this big rise in interest rates, and in particular in treasury yields and in, in real yields that has really contributed to a lot of the wind coming out of the sales of the, the stock market. You know, if you think about other things that could be factors, you know, actually the economic news has mostly been okay. The news on the earnings front has been pretty good as a whole. We saw obviously Nvidia publishing some pretty strong ones today. So, so it really is, I think, primarily about this rise in treasury yields and, and in real treasury yields in particular that has really sort of taken some of the wind out of the stock market. The second thing leading into this month was we saw a bit of a fading of enthusiasm about AI stocks. Now, maybe some of that started to come back today, but I think the big picture is we hadn't seen such huge gains in some of those big tech companies that we saw earlier in the year. But that was sort of starting to fade even before Treasury yields began their most recent leg up. So the combination of those two things, I think, is really what's seen the stock market come off the boil. You mentioned that rise in yields. As, as being a, a drag on the market recently, but stocks managed to, to shrug off those, those rises in yields earlier in the year. So, so what's different this time? Yeah, I think that's really interesting because, of course, the really big story last year was that we saw this huge rise in yields and this big fall in the stock market. And then this year, that really kind of flipped around, especially from sort of March onwards. We saw this big increase in yields again, and yet we saw, this, saw the stock market actually do quite well until recently. And I think, you know, what's behind that is last year was all about monetary tightening. It was all about this big increase in real interest rates as the central bank tried to get on top of inflation. This year, a lot of the rise in yields has been about the surprising resilience of economic growth and the fact that it hasn't maybe struggled as much as many, including us, would have expected given the amount of monetary tightening there'd been. So A, that does boost expectations for more monetary tightening and that's pushed up yields a bit, but maybe not as much as we saw last year, given how much tightening there's already been. And second, it's also helped reduce the downside risk of a recession. And that obviously would be something that would be uh, very worrying to equity investors. So as that risk is diminished because the economy is held up, we've seen risk premium fall uh, across the market. And I think that's really been a factor that's helped the stock market continue to make gains or had helped it continue to make gains even as, as interest rates rose. But really, this more recent rise in, in yields it was less about uh, strong growth, and I think it was more about some technical factors in the bond market. So particularly, you know, we saw the Bank of Japan tweak uh, yield curve control. That's probably diminished a bit foreign demand for U.S. Treasuries. We saw this announcement of 
larger than expected treasury issuance by the by the treasury department itself and you know all those sorts of things seem to have coincided to push up uh, term premium on treasuries a bit and that i think has been probably the more important factor over the past few uh, weeks rather than strong growth and you know that's something that like we saw last year is something that just increases the rate at which earnings are discounted but doesn't really give equities any other sort of offsetting boost. So that's probably why equities have struggled in response to the latest rise in yields when they had really managed to shake it off uh, earlier this year. I do want to talk about the the macro backdrop because we've had some earnings disappointments in the last week or so from the likes of uh, Foot Locker and, and Macy's. So pretty solid US consumer plays. And these companies are saying that, that US consumer demand is is weakening. We've been noting on on some of our macro services, at least, that recession does seem less likely than we thought. Does this mean that the stock market could do quite well from here? Or is this evidence of, of weakening consumer demand a threat to that outlook? Yeah, I think there's uh, two points to make there. One is, you know, because growth has been so strong, it is the case that you can have uh, these slowdowns in certain parts of the economy, maybe parts of consumer spending, uh, but without necessarily causing a recession in the way that maybe these things might have in the past if growth everywhere else was sort of weak and that that would have been enough to drag it down. I think it's certainly true, and, and this is a point that we were making on the macro services, that even if there might, though there might be pockets of weakness in the economy, the big picture is that a recession just looks less likely than it did at the start of the year. And you can absolutely see that reflected in the market as a whole. You know, Putting aside those individual stocks, as I said, you've seen this big decline in risk premium, uh, all these various indicators of things like corporate credit spreads that tend to rise when people are worried about recessions, they've been falling. Equity risk premium and the various measures of those have been falling as well. And that's a, that's a view, I think, that the recessions become less likely and, it, and it's one that's quite hard to argue with, to be honest. As I said, I think it does look less likely than, than it did at the start of the year. That said, I think there is a risk here and that's that investors have overall become quite optimistic about the outlook for economic growth. So, you know, it's not just that they're not pricing in a recession, it's that they've got to the point now where I think we're barely pricing any any sort of slowdown in economic growth over the rest of this year and, and into next year at all. Risk premium, you know, they've been uh, tighter in the past. It's not to say that we're in some sort of bubble, but we have we do seem to be in a situation where investors have become very, very optimistic about the outlook for growth. And, and therefore, I think it's quite possible that you only need a little bit of a disappointment to take uh, a fair bit more wind out of the sales of the stock market. You know, I do think that investors might be underestimating uh, how much the monetary tightening that's been enacted will ultimately weigh on the economy. We know that monetary policy operates with a lag, but we know that the monetary tightening didn't get started all that long ago. And you know, for investors to look at the current strength of the economy and think that that's going to continue, I think that might. Uh, be a little bit complacent. I think people might be underestimating a little bit the risks. And uh, you know, if some of those risks do materialize, if growth slows a bit more significantly, whether or not you get a technical recession or not, you might well see things in the stock market start to cool down a little bit over the next, let's say, six to 12 months. Let's put some numbers on that now, if we can, Tom. What's, what reminds of our, our current forecast for the S&P 500 end of this year? So we're currently forecasting 4,000 for the end of the year for the S&P 500. That would be about 10% below its current level. I think, as I say, that view is predicated probably on a weaker growth outlook than has actually materialized so far. But nonetheless, I do think that given how optimistic the market is, it wouldn't take too much for the stock market to fall back a bit, potentially getting quite close to that level. Now, that's a forecast we'll obviously be reviewing in our upcoming global markets outlook. But as I say, I think given the optimism that seems to be in the market about growth, wouldn't be surprised if we 
kept it something pretty close to that. Optimism about growth is a nice segue to uh, this question about NVIDIA earnings. You touched on it earlier in, in, in this discussion. We, we were just a day after the results. They blew away analyst expectations. AI enthusiasm has been a huge driver of the market this year. How much further can it run? Yeah, it's been a really interesting time in that part of the market, a really interesting few days in particular, because I think one thing that that NVIDIA report seems to have demonstrated that there is, really is something tangible behind a lot of this enthusiasm about AI. It's not just something that's going to boost profits really far in the future. It's something that is boosting profits of at least this company quite a lot right now. You know, We've seen absolutely enormous sales and earnings growth figures from what is already a big company that had quite a large market share. So it's really quite interesting. And I think it does demonstrate that there is something for investors to get quite legitimately excited about, about this technology that does seem to already be having a real world impact, not just a, an expected one in the markets. But I think, you know, even if you don't buy that, the nature of these things is that, you know, even if you think that this is all some sort of bubble and it's all gone too far, I think the nature of these things that they can tend to blow up over quite a long period of time. These you know, bubbles, if you want to call it that, can tend to inflate over a long period of time. Now, that's something that we'll be uh, looking at in a lot more depth in our forthcoming uh, spotlight series on, on AI, in a particular uh, a piece that we've been working on looking at the market implications of that. But you know, I think one point that we've made already is that you know, these, these enth this enthusiasm can grow over a long period of time, especially as we've seen over the past 24 hours or so, where there is something sort of tangible behind it, whether there are genuine massive earnings growth for investors to get excited about. I think the counter argument to that, that you will see people raise it, is that the valuations of these companies and NVIDIA now in particular are really, really high on your traditional valuation metrics, like the price to earnings ratio or the price to sales ratio, whether you look at Ford or trailing, you know, those numbers just look really quite intimidatingly high. And of course, look, we're not giving advice about individual companies, but I think you know this is a good illustration of when you just when you see this sort of technological transformation, when you see these really really rapid earnings growth numbers, those traditional metrics just aren't that useful for assessing the valuation of the stock market. I think you know we've seen this several times in the past with big tech companies where when earnings are growing so rapidly, it just naturally boosts the the price to forward earnings ratio to absolutely astronomical levels. The key thing there is whether they will actually deliver on that earnings growth. And obviously, NVIDIA has so far for very early days. But that's the key point, really, rather than whether we're at the peak of some bubble or anything, which, which I don't think we, we really are just yet. That was Tom Matthews on NVIDIA and AI. Again, look out for our Spotlight project later in September. But that's it for this episode. We'll be back on September 4th. But in the meantime, look out for our Asia drop-in, one of our short-form webinars. That's coming this Thursday. It's going to include a catch-up on China's slowdown, but the team's also going to be weighing monetary policy in Japan and India. You can find details of that along with all our research on our website, capitaleconomics.com. And for full access, including to all our AI coverage, our proprietary data and more, check out CE Advance, our premium platform. But until next time, goodbye. Whilst this podcast is provided with all reasonable skill and care, it comprises the subjective views of our economists. 
Furthermore, these views are not opinions, nor do they constitute investment or financial advice, or are they guarantees or reassurances to the expected results of any investment products or outcome. You should seek your own specific advice in relation to questions you may have. We will have no liability to you in relation to this podcast whatsoever.